Well, friends, I think we've just about made it. Uh, This is the last Sunday of 2020, that cursed year that we just couldn't wait to get out of, with every month seemingly coming at us like an apocalyptic Hollywood blockbuster, uncertainty, unrest, unbelievable turns of events at every turn. I could probably spend my whole 30 minutes listing out all the crazy, terrible stuff we've seen this year. But let me just review a few of the big highlights. We kicked off the year, uh, Australia caught on fire, like 47 million acres of it. Nearly 450 people and over a billion animals were killed as a result of one of the worst wildfire disasters in modern history. The impeachment trial of Donald Trump was a thing. Uh, kicking off a year of political divisiveness and vitriol that carried us all the way through to a contentious November election that may or may not still be going on with all the recounting and legal challenges. I don't know. I kind of stopped paying attention. Global stock markets recorded their fastest fall in financial history this spring and the, the most devastating crash since 1929, triggering a recession in many countries. Uh, People lost jobs. Entire industries found themselves on the verge of collapse. Riots broke out in Minneapolis and other cities in in response to the death of George Floyd. As racial tensions boiled over across the country, names like Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey became rallying cries of protests calling for action against racism in America, police reform, and even a defunding of the police force. Confusion, hurt, anger, Misunderstanding, ignorance all ensued as everyone was forced to grapple with or at least acknowledge social justice issues that were being thrust into the light. Murder hornets decided to make this the year of their North American tour, obviously feeling like our nerves were not quite shot enough. Come to find out the only ones in danger of actually being murdered were the bees Though anyone who's seen Seinfeld's B-movie knows that a world without bees is kind of rough. It turns out the real murderous insects in 2020 were the hundreds of billions of locusts that decimated Africa and Asian food supplies. We lost some beloved icons like Kobe Bryant, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Alex Trebek, and Sean Connery. First service didn't see that at all. Thank you. And, and Eddie Van Halen. And is, is that it? I feel like I'm missing something. Oh, yeah, coronavirus. This is uh, probably about all I need to say there. So, yeah, it's been a rough year for the world. But for most of us, it's been a rough year personally as well. You know, I've watched friends lose their jobs, lose loved ones, lose their health, be forced into excruciating decisions with, with lose-lose outcomes. For me, personally, 2020 was actually going to be a banner year. I had a lot of exciting things going on. I mean, it was all going to start uh, March 15th with my son Jacob and, and I going up to Milwaukee so I could take him to his first NBA games. He's an NBA fanatic in a town without a team, and we'd been planning this trip since his birthday the previous August. He couldn't have been more excited, and I was looking forward to the opportunity to bond with him one-on-one. In fact, I got so excited about this this bonding opportunity as it got closer and closer that I started scheduling one-on-one bonding trips with my other sons as well. But on March 11th, just four days before we were to leave, 
The NBA suspended its season because the players started testing positive for this annoying new virus named after a beer for some reason. It was frustrating, it's depressing, in some ways infuriating. I didn't want to believe it. And then I started to watch as all my incredible plans for 2020 started to unravel, like pulling a thread on a sweater. Meredith Andrews was coming here to work with our worship team and lead a night of worship, March 22nd. Canceled. I was going to be chaperoning my boys' high school band trip, the only one that all three of them were ever going to go on together, to Boston, a city that I've wanted to visit for as long as I can remember. Canceled. I was getting flown out to Lake Tahoe to help lead worship at a conference at the end of April. Canceled. Roller coaster adventure trip, bonding with my, my boy Sam, who was on base today. Uh, we were going to go to Cedar Point last summer. Canceled. Four different concerts I had tickets for, one of which was what high school Jason would have considered the concert experience of a lifetime, Aerosmith and Extreme. Seriously, my two absolute favorite bands growing up, together at Fenway Park. I had Boston ripped away from me twice this year. But beyond canceled events, this year has torn me up emotionally like no other I can remember. My grandma almost died uh, the week before Easter. And even though she ended up pulling through, she's been either in a rehab hospital or a senior care facility on lockdown ever since. And for the last nine months, I haven't been able to see her without a window in between us. Like I'm visiting an inmate at a correctional facility. And phone conversations often include a few moments of her breaking down because she misses everyone so much. I didn't get to see my sister or brother-in-law or nephews from St. Patrick's Day to Thanksgiving because of her immunosuppression. I watched my oldest son deal with the anxiety over what might happen to his senior year this year. And then now have to stand by as one by one, all those things he so looked forward to just go away. I watched the toll that fractured routine, isolation, and homeboundness has taken on my emotionally traumatized youngest child, and how my wife has struggled mightily taking the brunt of his emotional and even sometimes physical assaults. We've become very familiar with Wit's End, and we both concur it's not a place we'd recommend. My peacemaking, conflict-disliking personality has has made the months of navigating strong, diametrically opposing opinions and philosophies nearly unbearable, whether it be about race relations or virus responses or if Cecil Whitaker's is better than Emo's. And then I got to wrap the whole thing up with the passing of my Uncle Mike, arguably the uncle I was closest to. Most of my memories of Thanksgiving and Christmas involve spending the day at Uncle Mike's house. And they'll never be the same without him. And I know there's a lot of you out there that have had it way worse than me. My point is, if there's one thing this year has made us long for, it's some comforting. Just like God's people long to be comforted in the days of Elijah. We've been studying the book of... uh, You've messed me up with your days of Elijah. You've got that in my head. (laughs) It's all right. Days of Isaiah. See, we've been studying Isaiah, not Elijah, here at Rooftop for a few months now. Uh, Breaking it up by different themes today, I get to wrap up the current section of our study that we called The Lord Is. So we learn a lot in Isaiah about who God is, what he's like, 
We've learned that he is sovereign, that he's righteous and just, that he's wrathful, that he's compassionate like a mother. He's zealous for his people. And today I'm preaching about a God who is comforting. Now, if you can't remember the last time you saw me preach, don't feel too bad. It was on October 23rd, 2011. Some of you weren't even born yet. I'm not sure if it's been that long because my time is more valuable in other places or I'm just not that good at preaching and Matt is too afraid to tell me. But you guys can be the judge of that today. I actually thought about uh, installing some giant X's above the stage like, uh, like on America's Got Talent uh, this week. So you guys could buzz me out if, I, uh, if it becomes apparent that I do not have talent. But with Christmas and all, I just... Couldn't get around to it. So it looks like you're going to have to listen to the whole thing this morning. Comfort is a basic human need. Our psyches need to experience that feeling of relief from stress or encouragement in the face of obstacles, the consolation in times of trouble or worry. When the going gets tough, people look for comfort. And people look for comfort in a lot of different ways. There's some really good ways, like talking to a close friend or a pastor, maybe even seeing a counselor for uh, for more ongoing issues, finding a recreational activity that helps you unwind and relax, listening to soothing music. And there's lots of unhealthy ways that people seek out comfort. Eating your feelings, comfort foods, they call it. In more extreme cases, alcohol or drugs, sex, pornography, Likes and reactions on social media. But Isaiah points us to the ultimate source of comfort for those who are broken, hurting, in need of peace. And he's talking to a people who are coming out of some of their darkest days. Their nation has been ripped in two. Both halves have been defeated and exiled. Their holy city and holy temple both destroyed. They've been chastised for their sin. Their hearts are broken, contrite, That's where God does his best work. Isaiah 57 says, And it will be said, Build up, build up, prepare the road. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lonely and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry. For then they would faint away because of me, the very people I have created. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and hid my face in anger, yet they kept on in their willful ways. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So what do we see here? We see God take the broken and the contrite, the lowly in spirit, and do what? I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners. That's not the only place that God reveals himself to be a comforter in Isaiah. 
in, in Isaiah 49. He says, shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. In Isaiah 51, surely, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Again in Isaiah 51, those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Or Skylar talked about just a couple weeks ago in Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Lord comforts his people. That's good news for you and me. Because in a world that becomes increasingly more and more complex, broken, disappointing, frustrating with every single day, we need to know that the possibility of true and lasting comfort is just as real as the certainty of pain and sorrow. In a world that continues to go down, we need to know that the possibility of true and lasting comfort is just as real as the certainty of pain and sorrow. And when we have that confidence, the pain and sorrow become more than just bearable. They bring us closer to God. They provide us an opportunity to be comforted by him. I mean, you ever wondered why, why Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted? Because they get to experience God. There's no fear of the pain because they know the comfort is coming. It's connected. I mean, the only question is, what's it going to look like? If we believe that the Lord is a comforter and we trust that he is going to comfort us in our mourning, what should we expect and how should we seek it? So I'm going to share three thoughts with you this morning. First, God comforts us with his promises. The word of God is full of promises to deliver us, to redeem us, to protect us, to heal us, to bring us joy and hope. If we believe the word of God is true, then those promises should bring us comfort as we face all kinds of trials. It's why the psalmist declares in Psalm 119, my comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. And later on, may your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. It's why Peter says to rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Because he believes the promise that we've been given living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and an inheritance kept in heaven that will never perish, spoil or fade. Having hope on the other side makes walking through the pain more bearable. You know, my, li- my wife Liza can be pretty sensitive. And I don't mean like she gets her feelings hurt really easy or gets, you know, all grumpy all the time or anything. Though I guess maybe that's probably sometimes true as well. Right, Alex? Uh, but no, she feels physical pain way more intensely than I ever have. Uh, Discomfort is, is a common thing that, that, that comes up for her. 
She's much more pain averse than me, probably because her pain levels are amplified in ways that I have struggled to wrap my head around for the entire length of our marriage. I mean, even guessing the right amount of pressure to apply during a back rub makes me nervous sometimes. So when we were getting ready to have our second child, I asked her if she was extra afraid now that she knew what the pain would be like. And her response actually surprised me. She said it was really the opposite. Because she knew the joy that came on the other side of the pain. She knew the outcome. It was pain for a purpose. The anticipation of certain joy comforted her through the excruciating pain, just like the certainty of God's ultimate deliverance comforts us through the excruciating pain of whatever trial we might be facing. So God comforts us with his promises. He also comforts us with his people. God sends people into our lives to comfort us. I mean, he sent Isaiah a message of comfort for Judah. He sent Isaiah with a message of comfort for Judah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The Bible is replete with examples of people comforting one another. Isaac was comforted over his mother's death by his marriage to Rebekah. King David comforted Bathsheba after the death of uh, their first son as a result of their sin. The Good Samaritan, while admittedly a fictional character, gives us even a higher bar by providing comfort for someone he doesn't even know. Someone who probably doesn't care too much for him in the first place. And we see Jesus providing comfort and empathy to Mary over the death of her brother and his friend, Lazarus. God has undoubtedly put someone in your life at some point to comfort you. But the real question is whose life has God put you into so that you can be a source of comfort? See, being a recipient of God's comfort also comes with a calling. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces a new patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Paul suggests that at least one of the reasons God comforts us is so that we can comfort other people. When we can find peace in the assurances of God's deliverance, we can share that message with others who are struggling. When we've been blessed by God's hand, we can share those blessings with people who are suffering right now. You keep hearing us say it. We have a team of people down in Reynosa, Mexico, building houses for people living in a garbage dump. I know most of those people. I'm usually there with them. Many of them have experienced suffering and hardships in their lives greater than anything I'll ever be acquainted with. But they have a message of hope that has brought them through their suffering. God has brought them comfort and their their response is to share that hope and that comfort with people who so desperately need it. So who can you be a comfort to? Struggling friend? 
There is a challenge. Maybe someone you don't even like. Or maybe God will call you to go out and serve the homeless tomorrow night with our homeless ministry. Because God comforts us. God comforts others by his people. And finally, God comforts us with his presence. God doesn't leave us to walk through our sufferings alone. He says in Isaiah, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. You know, the psalmist declares in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me because I know you're there. And in Psalm 34, the Lord is close, close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, some of my most comforting experiences have been at times when I've actively engaged God's presence. Sometimes it's happened in a moment of surrender, lying awake in the middle of the night, anxious about what lies ahead for me. Sometimes it's happened during corporate worship as I let myself be reminded that God is there. Sometimes it's just being still and letting God wrap his arms around me. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, Isaiah says. I read that the other day and it reminded me of my son. If I'm out late or I'm not around, uh, I'll often get desperate phone calls from him wanting to know when I will be home because he feels more secure when he knows I'm with him. He struggles with anxiety and anger and has to work really hard to process disappointment and frustration. And evenings are, are even harder as he gets more and more tired. There's often tears, fighting, great levels of unrest. And the other night was one of the worst. Honestly, I, I actually don't even remember what started everything off. Sometimes it doesn't even take much. But drinks were thrown, doors were slammed, parents were kicked. In an effort to try to broker some sort of peace, I ask, what would make him feel better? Nothing. That's what he said, his little demon voice. (laughs) Nothing. So I just sat with him. I sat next to him on the steps. And a crazy thing happened. He just calmed down and started doing what he needed to do. I didn't even say anything. I just realized that I hadn't been with him. The experience of my presence was the comfort he needed. He needed to know I was there and I wasn't going anywhere. He needed to know that he was important to me. He needed to know that even though he acted out and did things to hurt me, I never stopped loving him and never gave up on him. And maybe you need to know that this morning. Maybe you need the presence of your father to bring you comfort. God brings us comfort with his promises, with his people, with his presence. And all these things 
culminate in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the presence of God who came down in the form of a person to fulfill the promises God made to his people. He assured our deliverance from death in the past by his death on the cross for our sins. He assures our deliverance to eternal life in the future through his resurrection and the overcoming of this world. And when those two realities converge, it turns mourning into dancing, turns our despair into hope. And it's found in Christ alone. And so I pray that we would all find the comfort of God as we move out of 2020 and into whatever the heck 2021 is going to end up being. Because we have his promises, we have his people, and of course we have his presence. Let me pray. Father, I'm just grateful I'm grateful that as broken as I can be, as frustrated and disappointed in myself as I can get, as scared and angry I'm just grateful that you are a God who has not walked away. That I can look to you, that I can turn to your word, that I can read those promises, that I can experience your love through the lives of of your people around me, that I can cry out to you and know that your presence is here going before me and beside me. And so I pray for us all that you would be our God of comfort as we close out this year and move into the next, that we would do so boldly, not afraid of, of what we might come across, but confident that you are a God of redemption and glory and hope. And then we'll see it on the other side of whatever trials we might face. And so we lift up the name of your son, our savior, the culmination of our comfort, Jesus Christ. We gather in his name. We seek you in his name. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.